This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Earlier this year, I had the very great pleasure of seeing a work that was on as part of Dance Massive called Between Tiny Cities, which uh, I found kind of invigorating and delightful and fascinating using the the rituals and movement of hip-hop and evolving away from those uh, and really delightful work choreographed by Nick Power. Another of Nick's works is on at Art Centre Melbourne uh, on the 20th and the 21st of May, two performances each. Each day, he joins me on the line now. G'day, Nick. How are you going? Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me. Very great pleasure. So, the idea of taking the the familiar choreography of uh, of hip hop and extrapolating out from that. Tell us how you got to this stage in your career, because I'm imagining that you got into hip hop like a a lot of guys I know at a relatively young age. Yeah, that's right. I've been, yeah, about sort of 13 or 14. I started, um, you know, jamming at school socials and also into other elements of hip-hop. I was a graffiti writer and an MC also. So um, so that was sort of my beginnings. And, um, and kind of hip-hop, I felt, you know, I'm from a smaller town called Toowoomba in Queensland, and hip-hop kind of gave me this expression and this opportunity to kind of express myself that, that I didn't have in, in other avenues, whether it be sport or school or whatever it was. And also it gave me the freedom to do that. It didn't kind of feel like structured in a classroom or a dance studio or anything like that. It was very different and, and um, kind of self-starting. So, so I guess that freedom and that expression really captivated me. And um, from there, you know, I, um, you know, I joined a crew and I started battling and, you know, that, that, that's sort of the pathway you take as a, as a breaker. And, um, yeah, so I did that for, for many years, 10, 10 or more years when I was a, a battle b-boy and going to comps and, you know, doing shows in nightclubs and things like that. Um, that's kind of where, where it went from there. And so creating uh, contemporary dance works using the language of breaking, the language of, of hip-hop dance to, to... What did you want to do? To, was it an opportunity for you to just say there is more that can be done with this art form than what you know or what you may have seen on the streets or in in videos or whatever? Was it an active opportunity to try and expand on and grow the form, for example? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I sort of, you know, like after after doing battles and club shows, I kind of felt like there's more to this. There's more to discover within this form. And um, and because I was teaching a lot, I'd teach at, say, dance festivals and I'd see contemporary dance shows, so I was sort of exposed to it. And I was interested in how hip-hop might fit within that context. And so that kind of really sparked my imagination because I thought that, you know, it could be taken into that context and uh, it'd be interesting to see what it would be within that, you know. And so that, that's really where I started to, to, to pursue that. And then I had, I had um, a collaboration with Track Dance Company and Stalker Theatre in Sydney. And, um, and so they gave me that opportunity to kind of, you know, give it a go, I guess, and, um, and sort of start to build my skills in that area. 
One of the things that I think for me will be intriguing about Cypher is having seen Between Tiny Cities uh, in March, Cypher is an earlier work. So for me, this will be like time travel. I'll be kind of going yeah. back to watch an earlier iteration, I imagine, of some of the same ideas. But for audiences who aren't familiar with your work, what are they going to be seeing? Are they going to be seeing um, a B-boy battle playing out before their eyes or is it more than that? Uh, this one's a bit more than that because this comes from Cypher is sort of what I call the hip-hop ritual because, you know, like now there's sort of big competitions all around the world where you can win prize money and thousands of people come and see it and it's an open public thing. But a Cypher is always sort of, it's no one wins a Cypher and it's sort of what happens in between the battles at hip-hop jams, circle form and then B-boys or B-girls throw down in the middle and there's this, you know, you know really kind of, you know, rich engagement and also conversation and language that's going on within that cipher and etiquette and culture and community and so all those things I thought and also that was how I first discovered dance by going into that circle way back then so to me it was really interesting to to think about all right you know like as a white fellow from Toowoomba what are my rituals what's my you know like what what is my cultural rituals and I guess for me, the cipher is a hip-hop ritual, so that's how I've approached it and taken that into sort of a contemporary um, theatrical concept and giving the audience sort of a visceral taste of what it feels like to step to the edge of that circle and some of the, you know, the exchanges that, that are within that. Now, there's a cast of four performers plus a, an electronic score. Uh, one of the things that really intrigues me about this will be the fact that I will, Im- I imagine some people who are very, very familiar, who are part of the hip-hop community, might be coming into the art centre to watch a contemporary dance work for the first time. Simultaneously, there might be people from the, the dance sector who are very, very familiar with, I don't know, the works of, say, um, Sydney Dance Company or Ballet Lab, who might be coming to watch a hip-hop ritual for the first time as well so it's going to be a really intriguing meeting of worlds inside the art center yeah i think that's what's interesting about like um bringing hip-hop to the theater is that is it does attract those diverse audiences you know it does attract people who maybe don't go to the theater and then also attracts people who do go to the theater and you know giving them a different taste of you know a, a, a different form and so i think that's really interesting and um and cool uh, is there the risk that you're going to be accused of selling out or exploiting the form? Because having uh, uh, a lot of familiarity in my younger days with uh, the, the punk scene, for example, people are very quick to throw around the notion of selling out or of exploiting a culture as well. Um, is that something that's been a concern to you at all? Um, I guess perhaps when I was starting um, to kind of ponder what this journey might be to take hip-hop into the theatre. But what I've really done is come from a cultural perspective. So what are some of the works that I saw? I, I spent some time in Europe, um, and I saw there's a lot of hip-hop dance theatre there. And what I saw was either kind of these big showcase showstopper shows with, like, um, with big tricks and huge lights, or sort of a contemporary choreographer using breaking in a really, you know, traditional contemporary dance format. And for me, I kind of thought, well, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense in, in those contexts to me. Um, it can do, but it didn't really. So for, for me, I want to come from a cultural perspective. So that's why with Cypher, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from, from hip-hop culture. And, you know, if you're going to take hip-hop into the theatre, always the question for me, the first question is why? Why is it going in there, you know? And and so for me to take it in, take the culture in, not just try and fit to what, 
the theater, we think what the theater should be rather than take take our culture in there and, and give an audience an experience of that i think that's that, that's different to kind of trying to make a buck or you know um something like that yeah it, it would be a very different show if it was someone uh i don't know uh a choreographer from outside the hip-hop world going, well, I'm just going to take that bit and that bit and that bit and, and yeah. ignore the rest. So there's a real honouring here of the the language, the style, the tone, and, and welcoming the audience in to watch that take place. Now, I know yeah. um, this was staged... Am I right in thinking Cypher was, uh, has previously been seen in Melbourne at Footscray Community Arts Centre back in 2015? That's right. Yep, we did it. We did it there, and that was really fantastic too. And since then, it's gone on uh, internationally, nationally. I think you were. Uh, it was on at Sydney Festival earlier uh, yep, this year, twenty sixteen Sydney yep. Festival, and um, and we did um, Berlin, a, a dance festival there called Tans in August, and we've been to Finland a couple of times, and we've also done some really great regional touring we went through queensland and we we had a fantastic tour right through the northern territory and we went to a remote indigenous community called larger Manu, where i've done work for the past 10 years off and on with tracks dance company and and it was just fantastic to be able to take the work back there because i feel like every time i go there i learn so much and um you know it was fantastic to share my work with that community and you know like it's just it's it's great that a work can kind of sit you know, be able to be performed in the middle of the desert on a basketball court or in, you know, a highbrow contemporary dance festival in Europe, you know, and that's that, that's really um, when I make the work, I, I think about that stuff because I, I, I am interested in taking it to the regions and to remotely because I think that sometimes they're the greatest audiences. I, I really like that notion of a work that can move so fluidly between worlds and to invite people from different worlds to literally come in and stand around and watch it take place. It's been getting some really strong reviews. I, I saw a glowing five-star review from its uh, uh, Footscray season in 2015, uh, a some great commentary as well from the Sydney Festival season last year, which just spoke about the palpable enjoyment of movement and the the generosity of the performers in sharing the work with an audience. So uh, Cypher certainly sounds like it's going to be something that I think uh, a really broad range of Melbourne audiences are going to enjoy. Yeah, and I think they've just released a few more tickets who were sold out, but um, but uh, we've just released a few more um, in the last day or so. So great. So just to uh, give a heads up. Cipher on at Art Centre Melbourne in the Playhouse rehearsal room on the twentieth and twenty first of May, two p.m. and seven p.m. You can book at artcentremelbourne.com.au or call one three hundred one eight two one eight three. Probably worth calling now or jumping online right now, given that Nick said those extra tickets have just been released. I'm sure they'll sell quickly. So if you want. A book to see Cypher at Art Centre Melbourne on the 20th or the 21st of May, 2pm, 7pm. Better get cracking. Nick Power, many thanks for speaking to us. Thanks so much, Richard. Talking about shows that are on at Chapel Off Chapel. It's an entertainment hub and they support great work and independent companies and... uh, Currently playing at Chapel Off Chapel is a show that got a, a five-star review uh, in The Music uh, and uh, a four-star review on Arts Hub and uh, much other praise as well. Spencer is a new play by Australian playwright Katie Warner, presented by the independent company Lab Kelpie. I'm joined in the studio by its director, Sharon Davis, and by actor Jane Clifton. Welcome to you both. Thank Morning, you. Richard. So... 
two more weeks to go. Just saying oh, straight okay. away. Oh, I thought it was the final away. week. Okay, no, good. next week's the final week. Hurry, book now. We okay. close on the 28th. And also, we actually got two five-star reviews, I oh, should say, as well. she's on the case. Oh, yes. Uh, f- um, very good. Yes. Excellent. I'm very excited. Yeah. So, what is Spencer about? Jane, I'm going to throw that one to you because I'm always interested in actors' take on what a show is about hmm. rather than what the playwright might think or what the mm. director might think because they can some there can be very very different views mm. i think in this particular case we're all on the same page with this one that it's about um family and um the ties that bind in family and the kind of method we're using to um express that those links is through football and uh, I'm playing the the mother of two sons. One's a failed AFL player and one's a rising star and a daughter who couldn't give a shit about football. <laughs> and I am absolutely a football tragic. So it's typecast for janeclifton.com. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're approaching an event where one of my sons who's um, recently discovered he's got a child that he's had with um, a footy mole. No, that's not true, but we discovered <laughs> a it. A one-night stand. And we're all preparing to meet this child and my ex-husband reappears. So it's a confluence around an event um, to welcome the child and its birthday and it brings out all the family conflicts and all the passions. Um, and it's just people who come and see it recognise themselves within their section of the family. So they see themselves either as the mother or the daughter or the sister or the brother. Um, so it's really about family for me. And families are dangerous and frightening things we Mm. all know from our own family no one can rub you up the wrong way like a family member so the opportunity for enormous explosive arguments and tension but uh, to then direct something like this show and how do you stop that sliding over into melodrama or bombast yeah, that's uh, that's always sort of, I guess, in the forefront of, of my mind when dealing with this text. It would be very easy for us to um, make fun of these people and uh, and just leave them as sort of one-dimensional bogans from the suburbs. Um, but what was really important and, and what was great about this ensemble of actors is everyone was on board from day one with uh, knowing that we'd had to play the truth of these people, we had to love them, we had to respect them, and that out of that comedy um, would ensue for the for the audience because it's a play of recognition. Like every, as Jane said, uh, everyone recognises someone in this play as either themselves or a relation or, or some experience that they've had. That's where the comedy is. So we don't need to play that. We don't need to send it up. We just stay true to who these characters are and what drives them and what makes them passionate and angry and human. Yeah. What drives them apart from football? Oh, oh really? <laughs> For me, no, nothing else drives. <laughs> My character's name is Meryl. Her life is football. Uh, and, you know, in that is... It, it could have been tennis. It could have been swimming. I, me- I remember when my daughter was um, young, she's 29 now, but when she was little, she was a swimmer. So I had to get up and go to training. I- and I had been a swimmer and my father had done that for me too. But watching the swimming parents who were really mm. into their kids and quite a lot of them were incredible. I say this with love in my heart. A lot of them were incredibly overweight and they had these tiny little kids <laughs> on whom their hopes and dreams were absolutely focused and they went to they travelled or even parents who've got a 
basketballing sons or daughters or parents of people who, um, you know, their kids are passionate about something, you will you know, do anything for them. So there's a lot riding on it and it's a lot about what was riding on it for you. My character says at one time, I say, I had talents, I could have been something, but no one gave a shit about me and that's not going to happen to Scotty. Mm. So that's, that's at the heart of it, you know, the hopes and dreams you have for your kids. Which can be poisoned by the, a parent's yeah. own hopes and dreams yeah. so easily. And, and and you hear about it in the media constantly. I've witnessed it playing out, kind of uh, just watching that toxic parent mm. who uh, is so um, so demanding of their child that yeah. kind of, yeah, they can scare Well, that's the- what my character is like. She's absolutely demanding of her kids, you know, you're not going to let me down, this is going to happen. And, I, and when my son was playing footy and he only played for a couple of years and didn't know where the ball was, broke his mother's heart, <laughs> became a flute player, um, and I'd go and watch the footy parents on the side. I, it, it's scary. You know the the level to which that we've all heard those stories about punch ups at suburban football grounds. So it is, you know, it's about hopes and dreams. Yeah, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, talked about expectations, and it doesn't matter whether this play was uh, these characters were focused on football or or another sport or or arts or you know their child becoming a doctor or whatever it is. Mm. We all know the stage mum, for example, yeah, in, in the yeah. theatre world, for example. This, so, yeah. this could have easily been that. You know, you take out a, a, the kind of um, the vernacular that this and the the vocabulary that this family has, and transpose it into you know. Anything. Any any suburb, mm. uh, uh, any socioeconomic environment, and these people are still driven by the same, you know, needs to to be loved and uh, and to have their expectations met and to be disappointed. You know, that's that's what this play really. I had the opposite into. of a stage mother. My mother, my mother was the actress in my family, and she did me the great favour of saying, darling, you just don't have any talent at all. Have you thought about being a stage manager? Rootsy! And, you know, that's the opposite. So I've spent the rest of my life trying to prove my mother wrong. Yeah. Long gone to God, my mother. But, you know, your parents attitude to what it is you do is scarring, whether it really it's supportive is. or, like my mother, the absolute opposite, you know. It's crazy. Tell us about Katie Warner's script. Uh, oh, what's that Katie. like? It's been... Dis- um, Maxim in his review in the music described it. Um, uh, I'm trying to find the line, which I should have highlighted, but... He- <laughs> it should be a classic, an Australian an classic. An Australian classic. Uh, She's a brilliant writer. What he said, uh, while Warner's words are a gift to any actor. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's... You know, it's um, it is a gift, and it's also a real challenge. Katie is a brilliant writer, and I think her ability to um, to create that vocabulary, as we talked about before, and a, and a real natural way of talking that is still heightened and still theatrical is uh, is is a real gift. And um, but the challenge is um, uh, like there's a wonderful big monologue that uh, Jamison Corwell has and uh, the way that it's written, the structure of it um, is very daunting to look at and you really have to break it down into, you know, tiny little chunks to try and figure out how to say this in a naturalistic mm. way. Um, so it doesn't come without its challenges, but it's so freaking rewarding when it works. Mm. And, uh, and I think 
um, what Katie is able to do is to tap into, you know, almost like she's bugged a suburban home and tap into that yeah. and, and, and open that up for the audience in a way that almost feels like we're intruding on some kind of private conversation that shouldn't be heard for, you know. And there are quite a few scenes in the, in the play. I mean, it's prop heavy. Yeah. My God, if Our you could tra- if you put job. one of those little tracks in one of those props, its life is just extraordinary. But there are a lot of moments within the play where there is a cacophony happening on stage where there are two or maybe six parallel conversations going and you as an actor have to be saying your little bit of it while keeping an ear about what's going across the stage mm-hmm. and so that when you're looking at it, as I imagine, as an audience, you see a family just yelling at each other but in a highly structured way. Mm-hmm. So it, it's one of these plays that um, it's very hard to learn the lines on your own. There's not, not a lot of big blocks. You've got, got to get there with everybody else and go bang, bang with the cues because they are so crisp and so precise so and a lot of them you might be saying the same line in a different way uh maybe a dozen different ways Mm. and each way is a cue to someone else so it's quite a hard play to um to rehearse and and perform but pardon me it is she's just a genius this girl she's what really one to watch katie warner because i think this is the first piece she's written for more than one person uh, or two, yeah. She's written yeah. a couple of two-handers, but this is her first. She's just uh, she's got an ear for dialogue mm. and um, the, the Australian way of life. That's you know, it's really exciting to to yeah. be part of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the review that Anne Marie Peard wrote on her blog, sometimes melbourne.blogspot.com. Uh, uh, Warner has captured an authentic and loving Australian suburban voice. It's confronting, we don't sound like that. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and That's it's so it. familiar that it's easy to find the awkward comfort of laughing at ourselves. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of comedy in this, but also um, an underlying thread of tragedy as well. Yeah, well, I, I've said from the moment I first read the play uh, and everyone I spoke to um, when I when I came on board, I said this is a play where the audience are laughing at a comedy and the characters are living out a tragedy um, and I think that that's sort of been my my driving theme in in pulling this together that um, you know Jane talked about the the need for um, all the actors to be in the same place and to be you know trying to learn these lines together and the technicality um, of that and the demands of that and you know we had to balance out that technical drilling and and the the skill there with having to also unearth um, very real, very raw emotional truths for these characters. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real double act for for everybody involved. I had to be, uh, you know, pissing in anyone's pocket right now. But this is the first time Sharon's directed something, and she's done the most incredible oh, job. I'll pay you later. Jane. You know exactly. It's just like it's not an easy thing to to be doing this play because you know it is a massive piece of. A vocal stuff to mm. be to be, and also to keep everyone on track of what it is they're playing, and that's what's so rewarding about those great reviews. Yes, they're five star, but everybody gets the yeah. notion that we're playing comedy, but there's there is so many sides to it. So we're really thrilled that we're able to communicate those things about the characters, and yeah. that's down to you, baby. Ah, oh, thanks, Jane. We love each other. <laughs> Spencer <laughs> is on at Chapel off Chapel until the twenty eighth of May, so ten days left. Ten yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. Only 
Nine, uh, nine shows. So Wednesdays to Saturdays at 7pm, Sundays at 2pm. It runs for 90 minutes with no interval. That's right. Out. Time for drinking. It's yes. a good thing. <laughs> it's a uh, good tickets thing. are $34 concession, $39 full. And if you're under $30, $29, you can book at chapeloffchapel.com.au or on 82907000. And uh, if you don't know where Chapel Off Chapel is... It's just off chapel. Yeah. 12 <laughs> Little Chapel Street, Paran is Google where it. you need to go. And the website again, chapeloffchapel.com.au to book for the Lab Kelpie production, Spencer, uh, by Katie Warner. Just one last thing before we go, Richard, because she's so fabulous. But Lab Kelpie as well should get a huge Guernsey because they're an independent company of two guys. Of uh, One of the guys is in it, yep. so Lyle Brooks is in it. And, and his uh, underpants, I'm told. Uh, his oh, yes. underpants are very rarely on. Yes. Uh, and and, it. and they're really putting their asses on the line literally um you know putting new work on and all power to them you know because it's it's not an easy thing to do and hopefully people will fill up those seats yes. and reward them yep get along so uh the details again spencer uh is the name of the play until the 28th of may at chapel off chapel in paran wednesdays to saturdays 7 p.m sundays at 2 p.m and chapeloffchapel.com.au to book Jane and Sharon, thank you both very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank Thank you. you. My penultimate guest for the morning joins me now in the studio. Charlotte Day is the director of the Monash University Museum of Art, but is here today with a different hat on. Charlotte, you were asked to curate an exhibition for Arts Project Australia, um, uh, whose artists are people who are perceived to have uh, an intellectual disability. Um, oh, that's right. And presenting some some rich and beautiful work. What was? Mm. How did the invitation come about and why did you accept uh, it? Was it just a chance to jump tracks and change hats for a while? Absolutely. Or? We've actually been talking to Arts Project for a couple of years, but, you know, I had to find the space to be able to kind of um, commit myself to it. But uh, the director there, Sue Roth, had invited me to be involved in uh, curating an exhibition there. They do have a program of um, inviting artists and curators from outside the organisation to come in and work with their artists, and that's very much part of their mission, to make um, professional relationships and broaden the context of their artists' work and engagement, and that was something, like, I was very interested in. So I just leapt at the opportunity and... um, I mean, I was really familiar with the organisation, but perhaps not the artists so personally. So uh, in the first instance, I went through... They have this amazing kind of store and archive of their artists' work across, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I think. I mean, probably longer, actually. But um, it's beautifully kind of cared for and catalogued. And I went through many sessions looking at work and then kind of refined it down. I mean, I wanted to find a kind of thematic that I could bring together different artists' work within. And um, I just loved the work that was a, that seemed to have um, the body in it that was figurative and I kind of really that was involved the figure, but um, more just the sense of it being um, so dynamic and joyful and alive and um, full of life. And I imagined those artists kind of working in the studio there as they do every day, of the week and kind of thinking about this body that's liberated and free and dances and moves and kind of strikes a pose and that's where I started. Yeah. How, 
important was it for you or how conscious were you of knowingly subverting a stereotype that people may have uh, about people with an intellectual disability who may see them as other, as mm. possibly even slightly abject or deprived or, or outsider in some way? Yeah. And contrasting that view of perhaps they may think of, of institutions, for example, or, or, or an unfulfilled life, contrasting that with these vibrant images mm. of unfettered movement, of freedom, of joy in life yeah. expressed uh, so powerfully. I and definitely visually. didn't do it consciously, but I think afterwards when I looked at, you know, the kind of selection I'd made, I feel like I'd found a path through that. But, I mean, the work, the artists make amazing work there. So it's not like you're having to kind of try to, you know, change your way of looking at the work to compensate or to feel differently about those artists. I mean, they make really interesting work. And there was lots of... Um, I mean, there's lots of areas of interest that I could have gone down, but I think for this one, you know, I was also looking at, in a more practical sense, the history of the exhibitions that had already take place there and I wanted to do something different from that. Um, and I think what I hoped to bring to it too was to um, kind of extrapolate some of the sensibility of the artists there and their interests and then bring other professional artists into that mix too. So then you're creating a kind of conversation between them. And each of the artists I asked to be involved, um, like Tony Schwenson and Kate Constantine and Sarah Contis, um, like amazing contemporary artists, and they were just thrilled to be involved in the context. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, even some artists that I didn't include their work from... Um, arts project like Chris Mason have you seen his ceramics they're like these kind of very large lady ceramics and there's another artist there um, Mark Smith who does ceramics like yoga poses but they're naked that got me thinking about also the body unclothed and you know there's I suppose there's a certain vulnerability in that but potentially also a powerfulness so a number of the artists works that I brought in from outside arts project um involve nudity or undressing to a certain degree and um I thought it was kind of just a gut feeling a bit to do that, but I think I've got Paid a off. good response to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the artist liked it. And then I thought afterwards I was like, I really had not occurred to me, but a few years ago, and I think we talked about this once, we did a um, new disco at Mama with Stuart Ringholt and then I'm like, I think it's got under my skin <laughs> this idea of dance and nudity, you know, so they're totally naturally fit each other. Well, and something that to pick up from that, when you dance, whether you're dancing in a lounge room at home or whether you're dancing uh, publicly on a dance floor in a pub or, or professionally, yeah. mm. there's, a there's a degree of intimate exposure yes. um, that you are opening yourself, particularly if you're kind of dancing uh, in a club or at a bar or something mm. like that, you're opening opening yourself up to, to for mockery in some ways. Yes. By, but yeah, so it can be a totally excruciating and stressful yeah. enterprise, and can it, dancing? Or it can be something totally liberating, liberating and, and empowering and, you know, feeling like you've become part of a one with a group of people. Yeah, so in um, the catalogue that I've done for the show, I tried to kind of talk a bit about the different ways that dance can, you know, affect you or you be affected by it. Um 
Yeah, and it's not just one thing. And that's um, the nature of the artists in the show too. There's like some... Paul Hodges, you know, is really immersed in the culture of ballet. So he loves professional ballet and then, you know, also trains, does ballet classes himself. But in his work, you know, it has this beautiful colour and palette and sense of the kind of elegance and richness of the ballet world and the theatre and the costumes and things like that. Um, Whereas an artist like... um, uh, which one should I say? Leo Cousins. His work is, I suppose, has this other bit romantic, a little bit retro dimension because it's um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, but they're beautifully composed. So, like in a number of them, it looks like the figures are nearly like removed from the scene, as if you they can hardly be caught because their dance moves are so fast. Yeah. Whereas an artist that we used as the poster boy. Um, which is really nice, Daniel Pace's work, you know, it's just really got that sense of the body and it moves and jives. You know, you think of disco music when you look at his images. Something that else that you mention in your catalogue essay is that notion that dance is so often a collaborative art form yeah. and one that involves a certain degree of trust and support as well. So, yes. yeah, you can, you can dance on your own, but it's so much more fun to dance either with friends, with other people, as part of a, um, a partnership, whether it's yes. ballroom dancing yeah. or, or being caught uh, yeah. uh, in, a, in a leap or There's whatever. There's another arts project artist in the show, Valerio Ciccioni, and his um, work's very much about that kind of partnerships and reliance on each other. So a number of them, you do see one dancer leaping through the air and the other catching them. And then a work from the Monash um, University collection that I've put in the show by Angela Brennan, you know, also shows to um, a couple dancing, but they're both, well, well, she's topless and he's actually only got his underpants on, I think. You know, so there's also that kind of real frisson on, you know, who leads, who follows, um, the kind of power relationships in the dance as well, which I thought, you know, had lots of artists have liked looking at that particular painting. And which, to come back to the fact that then this is an exhibition that you've curated for Arts Project Australia, that notion of trust, that frisson Mm. of of leading versus following and bringing in artists from outside Arts Project Australia to to exhibit alongside Mm. the the artists from Arts Project Australia. Again, that notion of collaboration, of sharing space, of trust in one another. And you as curator... um, essentially choreographing the the communication and the the movement between them. (laughs) It's a nice way. I couldn't have said that better myself, could I? Um, I mean, I hope that, you know, I really wanted to talk to the Arts Project artists, you know, the ones that are in the show, as well as I think there's like 120 come through every week. So, you know, I thought that was a principal audience, the Arts Project artists and staff themselves but I also hope by bringing different artists other artists into the mix that it brings new audiences to arts project you know already has a really regular following and um, strong supporter base but hopefully you know new people might come that haven't had a chance to go before before and you know that'd be really nice as well because for the arts project some works I borrowed but some also um the artists, you know, available for sale. So, you know, it's exciting opportunity for those artists to sell work too. And, you know, every artist wants a sale and why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the exhibition is curated by Charlotte Day for Arts Project Australia. It's called Let's Dance. It's on now until the 10th of June at Arts Project Australia, 24 High Street, Northcote. Uh, you can find out more info at www.artsproject.org.au. And as Charlotte just said, some of the work is on sale. So you can 
can get along and support local artists um, and uh, as well as getting a unique piece for yourself or for a friend. So the, the details again... Let's Dance on until the 10th of June, Arts Project Australia, 24 High Street, Northcote, artsproject.org.au. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks so much. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.